بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاه والسلام على عشر الصلاه والسلام على اشرف الانبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى اله واصحابه اجمعين اما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به امين رب العالمين الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله we continue tonight with bulughul maram with kitabul salah and the chapter on salatul tatawu' we are still busy with right we've been speaking about salatul layl and we've been speaking about salatul witr and this is where we ended off 2 weeks back now we spoke about the different ways that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam prayed salatul witr we mentioned the 3 raka'at sometimes 1 raka'ah 5 raka'at 7 raka'at nine rak'at and how he prayed them yani in one go with one tashahud except for the ninth time he would do it with two tashahuds in the eighth and the ninth for example and he would make the taslim at the end on the the ninth of course in the ninth rak'ah right we spoke about this um two weeks back okay so tonight inshallah we continue with this chapter and we will complete the ahadith of salatul witr and then we will move on bi'idhnillah to Salatul Duha and other salahs of Tatawah and so forth in the coming weeks bi idnillah ta'ala. So the first hadith for the night is from Abdullah ibn Amr and Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As radiyallahu anhumah. Qala, he said, Qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ya Abdullah, la takun mithla fulanin, kana yaqumu minal layli fataraka qiyaman nahari muttafaqun alayhi. The Prophet said to him, O Abdullah, do not be like such and such a person or like this particular person. When he stands during the night, he leaves off standing during the day. When he stands in salah during the night, he leaves off standing during the day. First and foremost, Ibn Uthaymin, Shaykh Ibn Uthaymin, rahimahullah, he comments on this narrator, Abdullah Ibn Amr, Ibn Al-As. Radiallahu anhuma. Abdullah, the son of Amr ibn al-As. So Abdullah is a Sahabi, and so is his father, Amr ibn al-As. We've got Abdullah and then we've got Amr. Right? And Abdullah was known to be a worshipper of Allah. Yani a person who was, you know, very strict in his ibadah. He was well known for this. And he's the one who took an oath that when he makes salah, when he makes qiyam, he will stand the entire night in qiyam. And he will fast every single day. This was his oath upon himself. Until the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you know, encouraged him or should I say guided him to that which is better for him. You know, not to do this in this way, to give himself a break and to have sabr and to um, give his body its haqq. And so forth. There's a time for sleep. There's a time for prayer. There's a time for eating. There's a time for fasting. And the Sheikh mentions another interesting point about Abdullah ibn Amr. He says between Abdullah and his father Amr, there's a difference of 10 years. Some say 11 years. This is what the Sheikh mentions. Which means when his father got married, he was very young. He was very young. And the Sheikh then speaks about 
how things have changed and how if a person gets married at the age of 20 today it's like he's frowned upon you know but he's, he's not ready he's young he's this he's that Wallahu musta'an so the sheikh he mentions this point and he says look at this two sahaba and look at Abdullah and look at his father Amr and how at what age he got must have gotten married and then he mentions the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam where he said man istata'a minkum ulba'a falyatazawwaj and we've discussed this hadith previously in kitab al-nikah and so forth and whomsoever from amongst you has the capability or the ability then he must get married and this was obviously addressed to the youngsters so the sheikh he speaks about this point and saying that this is the the real sunnah to get married at a young age and this is what is best for 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 people coming back to the hadith in this hadith rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam he forbids abdullah from being like a particular person we don't know who the person is but it's not really important it's more the lesson that's behind it um, and he says to him do not be like the one who prays at night and then he does not pray during the day so from the benefits of this hadith, Sheikh Ibn Uthaymin rahimahullah, he says that it's important and incumbent upon a person that when he does righteous deeds, he becomes firm in them and steadfast in them. And this was the guidance of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That whenever you do something good, you try to become steadfast in it. It's not just a once-off thing. You pray Qiyamul Layl today, and then you never pray Qiyam again. You open up the Quran today and then for the rest of the week or the month, we don't open the Quran again. Because we think, oh well I recited the Quran the other day. Hmm? I gave Sadaqah yesterday so I don't give Sadaqah again for the, for the rest of the month. Because I gave my Sadaqah. Understand? So we should try to be consistent and steadfast in our Ibadah. As in another hadith he said, the most dearest or beloved of deeds to Allah is that which is consistent. Is that which is the most consistent even if it is few or even if it is a little. But the point is the consistency behind that worship. This is what is most beloved to Allah. So what Allah prefers is that you give sadaqah consistently in small amounts. Rather than giving once off in a big amount, for example. Right? For example. So let's say you have sad 20 rand to give, and every day you give 2 rand. So for 10 days you've given sadaqah. Every single day you give something out of your pocket. This is consistency. As opposed to giving once and then never again do you worry about sadaqah or do you think about sadaqah. Understand? So it doesn't have to be in that way yani with specific values or that you split the money up or so forth but that you try to consistently give sadaqah. Whatever you have to give, you give. But if you're capable of giving, giving. Give. Understand? Consistency. As opposed to having this thought we have given so I don't need to give again. You understand? But try to be consistent that every now and then we give. If it's difficult to give every day, give every second. Give whenever you can. But don't think I've given, so I've, I've done my duty. I've fulfilled that act of worship and so forth. Um, and the same with Quran, the same with Qiyamul Layl, the same with fasting and so forth. Try to be consistent. This is what's the most beloved to Allah. Any act of worship, seeking knowledge, whatever it may be, it's about being 
consistent day in day out day in day out and this is the most beloved thing to Allah that which is consistent and even if it is a a little even if it's a little the, the, but the key is um, the key is to be consistent so on this point the sheikh says that he personally advises and he says ana ad'u lil i literally call each person to have a schedule or a, a, like a roster for themselves where they make sure that every day they complete a certain task or a certain amount of actions so he says in the day I have to do this in the morning I have to do this in the evening I have to do this such that his time is not wasted he said, and with the Quran as well I have to read every day two Jews or three Jews, whatever I'm capable of, depending each person is different. And then before he sleeps, he needs to ask himself, have I recited this amount? If I have, I can sleep. If I didn't, if I have not, I have to go recite first. I have to make sure that I fulfill what I'm supposed to fulfill for the day. Understand? And then the Sheikh, he says, he's tried this and he's tried, you know, just doing things randomly and doing things in this way and he finds that this is the much more fruitful way of doing things you get things done you make sure you do things every single day understand so when a person does this he will find that steadfastness he will find the consistency every single day i make sure i read so many ajaza i give a little bit of sadaqah or you know whatever it may be this is a very uh, a very important point that he highlights make for, make yourself a goal a daily goal and it should be something that you are capable of doing. It should be something that you are capable of doing. If you can do more on the day, Alhamdulillah, no problem. That's good. That's nurun ala nur. But make sure you fulfill what you are supposed to fulfill. So when you create your roster or your schedule, make it something that's reasonable. So you should know yourself, for example, I know I'm capable of reading one juz a day for example this i can easily do well, i can definitely do it even the day when i'm a little bit busy i can make time i can recite one juz for the day and if there's a day that comes and you have more free time you have more energy you end up reciting two or three or four or five ajaza alhamdulillah nurun ala nur but the minimum has to be one juz this is how it should be understand and when you make the roster don't also be extreme and think well i recited five yesterday we can at least do four every day or three every day because there's going to be days when you're tired there's going to be days when you're not that energetic so be reasonable and think not too little not too much something that is reasonable for every day and on the days we can do more we do more that should be the way we think about it because at least there is consistency there is consistency and this is the main point that the Sheikh mentions on this hadith and Allah knows best. So don't be like the one who prays at night and then he doesn't pray during the day. Understand? You can pray at night, you can pray a little bit in the day as well. You can pray the sunnahs during the day just like you can pray the sunnahs during the night. 
But don't be like the one who prays now and then the next day, don't need to worry about praying. You understand? I've prayed during the night. Khalas, it's enough. Understand? No, consistency. And this is why we say don't overdo things. Don't burn yourself out. Because when you burn out, then there's no consistency. This is why we say don't burn yourself out. So even sometimes some brothers, alhamdulillah, they come into this da'wah and they full of energy, you know, really haris. They strict and they, and they go from one lesson to the other, from one lesson to the other, and they full-time seeking knowledge. With the other duties and so forth, of studying and campus and so forth, sometimes we advise them just to calm down. Not that seeking knowledge is not good or that is not important, but eventually you're going to get to a point where you hit the wall and all the, 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 the duru stops. Rather have a, a, a system, you know. These three days I know I can make time for Quran. These three days I know I can make time for seeking knowledge. The rest with time during the day for my studies. With, as opposed to complete burnout or complete full force ahead in this new thing that I've now found, this new da'wah that I'm in. You taste the sweetness of the da'wah, you see it's the haqq and so forth. Shay'an for shay'an. Shay'an for shay'an. One thing at a time. One by one. One by one. You understand? And this is how it should be for, for whatever we do. When we're learning Quran, the same thing. Piece by piece. Piece by piece. There's no rush. When you overdo it, at the end of the day, or you might get to a point where you burnt out. Had enough. I've been reading 10 Jews a day for the last 5 months. I'm not going to read Quran again. And, and we've seen people, certain Hufal, for example, they go through a strict system of, call it door, whatever they call it, revision. They tamat at the end of the tamat, don't open the Quran again, except for Taraweeh. Because what they did, they burnt themselves out. And for them, that's it. I know my Quran and that's it. So the rest of the year, no more Quran. Just make sure Taraweeh comes, I know my Quran, and we carry on. So there's no actual relationship with the Quran. Ask them now, read the 90th Jew, they'll read it. But is there a relationship with the Quran? There's no relationship with the Quran. It's just ingrained within them. Because they went through a strict, rigorous system. But there's no consistency. There's no relationship. There's no subhanAllah. So this is the, the thing, you know, we should learn how to study, how to learn. Start with baby steps and you grow and you grow and you grow and you can build yourself up to a point where you can, you know, do a lot during the day, with no doubt. Um, so we should try and, you know, start small and grow. Gradually increase. Okay, the next hadith is from Ali radiallahu anhu who said that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Awtiru ya ahlul Quran, fa inna allaha witrun yuhibbul witra, rawahul khamsa, wa sahahu ibn khuzayma. He says in this hadith, Perform witr, O people of the Qur'an. Awtiru, ya ahlul Qur'an. O ya ahlul Qur'an. Perform the witr, O people of the Qur'an. For inna Allah, for indeed Allah is witr, and He loves that which is witr. So firstly, we notice that the hadith specifies whom? Specifically addresses whom? The people of the Qur'an. 
specifically addressing them that they must be the ones that upholds witr. Because it's known that the people of the Qur'an, a real person of the Qur'an is someone who stands during the night. In Qiyamul Layl, he stands during the night and he recites the Book of Allah. This is some of the characteristics of a person of the Qur'an. أَمَّنْ هُوَ قَانِتٌ آنَاءَ اللَّيْلِ سَاجِدًا وَقَائِمًا يَحْذَرُ الْآخِرَةَ وَيَرْجُ رَحْمَةَ رَبِّهِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, is the one whom he devoutly, out of obedience, stands during the night, during periods of the night. سَاجِدًا وَقَائِمًا He stands and he prostrates, makes sujood and so forth. يَحْذَرُ الْآخِرَةَ And he fears the akhirah and he longs for the mercy of his Rabb. Is he the same like the one who doesn't do this? Of course the answer is known that they are not the same. In another verse Allah says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَتْلُونَ كِتَابَ اللَّهِ وَأَقَامُوا الصَّلَاةِ وَأَنْفَقُوا مِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ سِرًّا وَعَلَانِيَةِ يَرْجُونَ تِجَارَةً لَنْ تَبُورٍ Indeed those whom recite the book of Allah. And this is the people of Quran. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَتْلُونَ كِتَابَ الله. Those who recite the book of Allah and they stand in, and establish their salah and they give, they spend from that which Allah has given them, that which we have given them, in secret and in public. They give in secret and they also give publicly. So sadaqah, what we learn from this point is what? Is generally we say give in secret. That's closest to ikhlas. But sometimes we also give publicly. Sometimes, but we must make sure our niyyah is also intact and sincere. And not just to be of those who give publicly so people can say, who, oh, what a righteous man, or how generous they are. This obviously is riyah, or sum'ah, showing off, seeking reputation. But sometimes a believer gives sadaqah privately, secretly, and sometimes publicly. So publicly is a good thing at times. People see you give sadaqah, they also give sadaqah. Understand? There's a good thing in it. But your niyyah has to be for the sake of Allah. And that hopefully through the sadaqah, others will follow. That's a good niyyah. But the moment the niyyah is anything else, seeking reputation and so forth, then your sadaqah is not accepted. Your sadaqah is null and void. And then Allah says, They hope for a tijarah, which will never ever disappear or never ever run out a business a trade that's that's fruitful that's never at loss this is what they are hoping for and this is only the trade with Allah what you earn by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is never at loss this is who these people are and one of the characteristics is the people who recite the Quran the people who recite the the Quran so the hadith says awtiru ya ahlul Quran perform the witted O people of the Quran which basically means uphold the witr. You people are people of the Qur'an. It's the most befitting and incumbent upon you that you are people who do not neglect the witr. You are people who stand during the night and you perform your witr salah. You perform your, your witr salah. Whether it's a hafiz of the Qur'an, a reciter of the Qur'an, a, a student of knowledge, a, a, an alim, a person in jihad, a, a righteous person, all of this is, is included in this address. Make sure you are those who uphold the witr salah. It's not befitting that you lose out, that you miss out on the witr. Right? And we said it's not fard. According to the correct opinion, it's not fard. 
But it is a, the most encouraged sunnah of all. Right? Sorry? It's a? A rukan. What do you mean by rukan? Oh, no, no, no. Rukunah is the sunnah of the sunnah, the twelve sunnahs. Ratiba. It's not a ratiba. No. Witter is not part of the ratiba. What is a rukun A rukun is a pillar of the salah. Like the arkan of the salah. One, one rukun, many arkan. Okay? Um, but the witter is not a rukun, obviously, it's not part of the salah. It's a salah its, by itself. And also, it's not part of the ratiba either. Um, it's excluded from the ratiba. It's something again different, but it's more virtuous than all of the others. Such as Imam Ahmad said, "Whomsoever doesn't pray the witr, we don't accept his witness. In shahada, don't accept his witness, right? This is how strict they were on this salah. And look at this hadith again. He's saying, if you're a person of the Quran, you must uphold the witr. You have to uphold witr. It's 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 incumbent upon you that you." You do not lose out and not leave out the witr salah. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ witr. For indeed Allah is witr. What does this mean? Allah is witr. Allah is one. We spoke about this in Allah's names and attributes. We spoke about Allah's name al-witr. Based on this hadith. Allah is witr. Meaning He is one. The word witr actually means something that's uneven. Something that's odd. An odd number. But in this case we know what it means. Allah is one. Which is also uneven. Allah is one. He is one in his that, in his existence, in his essence. He is one in his rububiyyah. He is one in his uluhiyyah. He is one in his names and is one in his attributes. He has no comparison, no likes unto him. No example unto him. Right? Very importantly that we mention all the, character, all the categories of Tawheed. That Allah is one in all of this. The only creator, the only provider, the only, and obviously in his essence, he's one. Qul huwa Allahu ahad. Say Allah is one. Understand? And he loves that which is witr. What does this mean? He loves that which is uneven. Okay, yes. Firstly, we can link it to Tawheed. And say he loves that you fulfill witr. His oneness. That he loves that you fulfill his oneness. That you worship him alone. That you believe in him alone. Right? And secondly, he loves witr. Yani he loves certain things which are uneven. So the Sheikh Ibn Uthaymin, he says, this doesn't mean that you make every single thing in your life uneven. There are certain things which are uneven because Allah loves that which is uneven. Like seven heavens, five daily salahs, after the salah, we make tasbih 33 times. It's an even number. And there's the witr salah at the end of the night, which is one. It makes all that qiyamul layl uneven. You make mathna, mathna, two by two, and then one to make it uneven. That's your witr. Allah loves that which is witr. So there are certain things which is known to be witr, and there are certain things which are left open. That doesn't mean that you have to make every single thing witr. For example, the Prophet ﷺ, after fasting Ramadan, come the day of Eid. Before he goes to Salatul Eid, what did he do? What's the sunnah to do before you go for Salatul Eid? 
especially on the day of Eid al-Fitr. Before you go to Eid al-Fitr, you have something to eat. To make sure that it's different to the days of Ramadan, where you don't eat in the mornings. Now it's morning time, you eat. Because it's a sunnah. this is the sunnah, to differentiate, this is Eid now. It's not a day of fasting. But also the Prophet sallallahu used to have an odd number of dates. The hadith of Anas says he used to eat an odd number of dates. A witter of dates. So that means it's a sunnah to eat an odd number of dates before you go out for Eid al-Fitr. But why does he specifically mention this? It shows that the rest of the time there was no uh, importance given to make sure you eat only three or five or seven. There is a different another example which is the example of the Ajwa. Seven dates. That's specifically mentioned. Witter. So we do that. Okay? But the rest of the time, this doesn't mean that you have to only eat one or three or five dates. If you eat two dates, alhamdulillah. If you eat four dates, it's also fine. You understand? So certain things have been mentioned as witter, because Allah loves that which is witter. But this doesn't mean that you have to make everything in your life witter. That's what some people believe. So some people say, for example, when you get dressed, you must put on an odd number of clothing. Must put on, because Allah loves that which is witted. So you must put on an odd number. When you get dressed in winter and you put on jackets, put on an odd number. Because Allah loves that it's witted. And when you eat, make everything odd. Do you understand how far this can go? Into everything now, we make everything an odd number. Whatever we do, uh, uh, you can get very, can go very far with this. Three course meal. You must split your stomach into three. Odd number. See? Witter. It's not a three-course meal. You must split your stomach into three. So one for food, one for water, one for air. That's the sunnah. Witter. So at least we can use that example of witter in eating as well. Alhamdulillah. It's good you mentioned that you broke me another example to use. Um, but the point is, we don't have to go to extreme, <coughs> you know, and make every single thing witter. Things that have been narrated, alhamdulillah, not narrated, you don't have to make it a witter. So some people will say, three is a sunnah. Have you heard this? Three is a sunnah. That comes from this. It comes from here, that witter. Because three is witter, right? Three is uneven. But not necessarily. Not necessarily. Understand? It doesn't have to be, it doesn't say everything must be in threes or that. You know, that which is narrated as witter is narrated that which is not is left open. You can do as much as you want and eat as much as you want and so forth. Um, <coughs> okay, the next hadith is from Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam who said, Ij'alu akhira salatikum bil-layli witra muttafaqun alayhi. He said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Make the last of your salahs at night the witr. Make witr the last of your salahs at night. So what does this mean? Sorry, it is clear in its meaning. It means when you pray at night, plan in such a way that witr will be the last prayer that you make. 
that witr will be the last prayer that you make that night. This you should plan, if you can. Sometimes you plan and it doesn't work out. Sometimes you plan and things happen differently. So, but if you can, then you should do it like this. Okay? Um, <clears throat> so just to summarize the issue, meaning, if you intend to make Qiyamul Layl, let's say you're going to sleep, 10 p.m., 11 p.m., and your intention is to wake up sometime during the night and pray Tahajjud, or Qiyamul Layl. What should you then do? You should delay your witr. Right? You should delay your witr up until that point. Where you get up, you make your qiyam, and then you pray witr at the end. Obviously before the waqt of fajr comes in. This is, what, this, is what, this is what the hadith is basically saying. So whatever you're planning for the night, make witr the last prayer of the night. If you have no intention of getting up, what should you do? Make it, not necessarily immediately, but at least before you go sleep. At least before you go, go and sleep. You make it immediately after Isha. Okay, let's say for example, you pray the Isha. You make the two rak'at, which is Ratiba, after Isha. And you know, you know yourself. If I'm not going to pray Witr now, and I start to relax, and I get tired, I'm not going to make witr before I sleep. I know. I'm not going to take wudu. And I'm not going to stand there and pray witr and then go sleep. Most likely I'm going to get into bed and I'm going to be gone. In that case, what do we say? Pray witr immediately. Don't leave it for later where you know your laziness is going to overtake you or the shaitan is going to, you're going to get distracted. Pray witr now. Pray witr now. But if you know for certain before I sleep, I will make sure I pray witr. So you delay the witr. This is also good. So you delay the witr a little bit, till a bit later, till 11 or 12 o'clock when you go sleep, then you pray witr. That's, that's better. But if you know you're not going to do this, pray witr immediately. Um, <clears throat> so we take note, what, what happens if... You pray witr and you go sleep. And then you wake up. Two hours before Fajr. And you want to stand up and you want to pray Qiyam. What happens now? You've already prayed witr. So you made witr your last prayer. Right? It's your last prayer for the night. So now what happens when you wake up? Can you pray witr again later on? Or can you pray Qiyam? Without praying with it again, or you're not allowed to pray anymore because you made with it your last salah. You understand? So what's the answer? What do we do? So we went to sleep, we prayed our witr, we go on to sleep. Now you wake up. And as you get up, you feel, Alhamdulillah, there's still an hour for Fajr. I might as well stay up. So you get up, you take wudu, and before you make Qiyam, you think, hey, but I prayed with it already. What do we do? Meaning what? You pray Qiyamul and you perform another witr. Okay? That's incorrect. Because there's a hadith that says no two witrs in one night. 
you cannot pray witr twice at, when we're going to get to that hadith but you are not allowed to make two witrs in one night la witran fil layla you know what? there's no two witrs in one night so that option is obviously wrong because it contradicts the hadith so that option is out we left with two options either you pray qiyamul layl and no witr at the end or you're not allowed to pray because of the hadith that says make witr your last prayer for the night this happens often in Ramadan you go to masjid you pray tarawih the imam makes witr you make with him and you get the reward of standing the entire night as the hadith says then you go home what if you want to make more qiyam Technically, you could say, well, I already prayed with it, so I can't make more. But we say the hadith doesn't mean this. That's why I said earlier, you plan. If you can plan to make with it last, you should. If you can't, if it's out of your hands, it's okay. Because take note, the hadith doesn't say, the Prophet never said, La tusallu al He never said, don't pray after witr. He never said, do not pray after witr. Rather, he said, try to make witr your last salah. There's a huge difference in the wordings. He's saying, make it your last prayer. But if you don't, you can still continue praying. And you can still pray after it. He never said, don't pray after. If he said that, if he said it in that terms, in that expression, do not pray after witr, then we would say, you prayed witr, not allowed to pray after witr. Understand? But of course, this is not what he said. So we say it's permissible to make salah, qiyamul layl, for example, after you've prayed witr. So if you wake up in the middle of the night, you prayed witr already, you can carry on making qiyam, no problem. But, but, you do not pray witr again. You do not pray witr again. So you just make two by two, as much as you want, up until fajr, you have to stop. Understand? Tayyib. One of the benefits of this hadith is the encouragement to make witr your last salah. Again, plan. If you can do that, then do that. If it doesn't work out, it's okay. The most important thing is don't neglect the witr. And don't make two witrs. Right? In fact, here comes the hadith. The next hadith is from Talq ibn Ali. Radiallahu anhu said, Sami'tu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Yaqul, I heard the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saying, La witrani fi layla. لا وتران في ليلة There is no two witters in one night There is no two witters in one night This hadith is in Rawahu Ahmad Wathalatha Wasahaw Ibn Hibban So the hadith is very clear Doesn't require much explanation There is no two witters in one Once you've prayed witter You cannot pray witter once again خلاص it's done You prayed witter for that night It's done You cannot pray witter again Understand? But you can pray after that If you wanted to that doesn't mean you're not allowed to pray after the witr. There is another opinion which says that you make naqd of the witr, which means um, which basically means that let's say you prayed witr and you wake up at the end of the night. Then you can pray another rak'ah to make that previous witr into two. Do you understand? To even it out. And then you can make another witr at the end of the night. Because that other previous witr doesn't count any longer. 
However, this opinion Ibn Uthaymin says is a weak opinion. And this hadith basically tells us there's no two witters at one night. Khalas, you prayed once, you don't have to do it again. Right? There's no evidence to say that one should do this, basically. The next hadith from Ubay ibn Ka'b radiallahu anhu said, كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يوتر بسبح اسم ربك الأعلى وقل يا والكافرون قل والله أحد روى أحمد وبدار النسائي وزاد ولا يسلم إلا في آخرهن This hadith tells us what he used to recite in the witter. He used to recite سبح اسم ربك الأعلى in the first rak'ah. And قل يا أيها الكافرون in the second and قل هو الله أحد in the third. <coughs> hadith in Ahmad, Abu Dawr al-Nasai. And in the version of Nasai, it says, وَلَا يُسَلِّمُ إِلَّا فِي آخِرِهِنَّ And he did not make the taslim. He did not say salam, except in the last one. يعني in the last rak'ah. The hadith is again pretty clear. That the sunnah is to recite when you're making three rak'ah of witr. When you are making three rak'ah of witr. What's the sunnah to read? Sabihisma, then kafirun, and then ahad. Also, this hadith tells us that he did this witr in in one go. Because he only made the salam at the end. Meaning it was three in one, not two and one. Although we know two and one is also valid and permissible, no problem. The next hadith in Abu Dawood and at Tirmidhi, yes? Two and one meaning you make two, you make salam. Then you stand up and you make one. No, obviously, like Maghrib is not permissible. But there's a difference slightly. I don't think they do it at Gatesville, they do it at Muir Street. Sure. Because Gates was not a, that's a Hanafi way of doing it. Yeah, so the Hanafi Masajid pray like that. So, they went to the back. who's this? The, um, some Hanafis. So, those were the Hanafis that went to the back. So, you came also to Tawi? Yeah, like okay, so that's, those are the Hanafis. So they went to pray. This is again a type of extremism. This is extremism. That they decided they're not going to pray with the, the witr with the Shafi'is. They're going to pray the witr by themselves. Yes. And this is what you call extremism. It's fanaticism to the madhab. Right? As opposed to standing in jama'ah, we're going to make another jama'ah so that we can pray according to our madhab and you pray according to your madhab. Right? This is asabiyah. This is fanaticism to your madhab. This was never ever done in the time of the Prophet You pray according to your opinion, we pray according to our opinion. You follow the Imam, right? So firstly, that's already their big mistake. They're fanatics, and this is known by many of the Hanafis, they're strict Hanafis, there are many of them are fanatics. Especially if you go up country, you'll find this. Um, it's not very common here. But if it happens, it's extremism. And the same with the Shafi'i. If it's a Hanafi praying, you pray behind him. Right? Obviously, you're not going to say, look, and this is what happened, you know, before the, for example, before the Saudis took over. This is, this is how it used to be in the Haram. In Makkah's Haram, there was four mihrabs. There was four mihrabs around the Kaaba. One for the Shafi'is, one for the Hanafis, one for the Malikis, and one for the Hanbalis. So each one had to go stand behind his own Imam. 
So each one will pray. So the Hanafis pray. When they're done, the Malikis can pray. When they're done, the Shafis get a chance. When they're done, the Hanbali starts. And you can search it on Google. You will find this picture with four mihrab standing around the Kaaba. It's when Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab, rahimahullah, and so forth, when they took over and they abolished the old Ottoman state and they took over of the, the Hijaz region, they then destroyed all of that. And they made one imam. And everybody comes and pray behind one. That's the sunnah. But as for each madhab gets a spot, how is this the sunnah? Where did Umar ibn Khattab, you stand one side, Uthman, you stand one side. They also had differences of opinion, especially in fiqh. One imam, that's the sunnah. So this is a type of extremism that people have towards a madhab. Right? And, and unfortunately, it goes into ghulu, a successive reverence of my madhab, which is completely against the sunnah. Secondly, we mentioned the hadith, was it last week or two weeks back? About not having the witr resemble maghrib. Not having the witr resemble maghrib. So it should not be prayed like maghrib. How is maghrib prayed? Three raka'at in one go with, with one taslim but with two tashahuds. Right? With one salam but two tahiyats. That's maghrib. Your witr should not be like this. So the witr we say it's either three in one, but with one tashahud and one taslim. So in the second raka'ah, you don't sit with tashahud, you stand straight up. Hence it doesn't resemble maghrib. Or you make it two and one. Two, like normal two. Salam, stand up, and one. That's witr. That's fine. But three should not resemble maghrib. So the Hanafis, they do this, and then to differentiate, they add a, they add a takbir in there somewhere. And um, if you pray with them, you actually get confused because nobody will know how to pray except them. And this happens, uh, I remember in Muir Street Masjid, back in the day, uh, there was a popular speaker there, everybody used to go there, and they used to pray like this. And when they prayed, 90% of the people are Shafi'i. And they add, like I said, they add a takbir, man. So they would say Allahu Akbar, but they don't go down. The Imam, he will recite. They say, he recite Fatiha, Qulu Allahu Ahad. Then he will say, Allahu Akbar. But they don't go down. But everybody at the back, the whole masjid goes down. And then he recites again, or he says something again, and then the people are all sitting in the ruku, and they're like, what's going on? Because they don't know how to pray in that way. But that's the Hanafi way of praying. But it's not from the sunnah to pray like that. We don't say it's from the authentic sunnah to pray like that. But as I said, it's the Hanafi method of doing it. Allah alam. I'm not sure. But like I said, it's the Ahnaf that um, pray like this. Within the Hanafi madhab, there's a lot of weak views. There's a lot of views that were based on Ra'i. They were known as the Ashabu Ra'i, the people of opinion. And Malik was his contemporary. Imam Malik was known as Ashabul Hadith. People of Hadith. So this is a long discussion. But you'll see the Ahnaf, Imam Abu Hanifa who lived in Iraq. Imam Malik lived in Medina. So Imam Malik studied under who? All the Sahaba that were there. And should I say the Tabi'een? He wasn't a Tabi'i, he was from the Atba'u Tabi'een. So he was there, the Hadith was still alive there. But the people in Iraq, they didn't have that much Hadith. Because there were not much Muhaddithin over there. Secondly, so the access that they had to hadith was very little. 
Secondly, within that time, there was a fitna where people would purposely fabricate hadith. Enemies of Islam would purposefully make up hadith. So what did Ibn Abu Hanifa do? He would only stick to certain ahadith that he knew and anything else that reached them, he would try to avoid it because of the fitna that broke out. People were fabricating hadith. Remember, there was no documentation yet to a large extent. There was small amounts of documentation. But there was no Bukhari yet and Muslim yet and where they came and they, they solidified everything into book form. So when this fabrication issue broke out, they would, solid, they would stick to what they knew and most of the opinions were formulated based on their opinion, based on their qiyas, analogy, based on their ijtihad. But many times it opposed hadith. But they, were not, they, didn't, they didn't have access to that hadith. You understand? So the dynamics was very different back then. So much so his own students, his closest students was Abu Yusuf and Muhammad ibn Abi Shayba, Muhammad uh, Ashaybani. Um, they differed with him, with Abu Hanifa, because they eventually traveled and studied under other ulama of hadith. And they found hadith that contradicts the opinions that they were taught. So they would oppose Abu Hanifa in many issues. Because they came across a hadith that he didn't come across. And so forth. So there was different dynamics and issues and reasons why Abu Hanifa had many opinions that was that's contrary to authentic hadith. This, that's at least two, two reasons why. He didn't have access to many hadith. And there was a big fitna of fabrication of hadith that broke out in, that, in his region. Whereas in Medina, it wasn't like that. There was many scholars of hadith. Malik was there. There was the scholars before him. And many others followed behind him. They didn't face the same fitna that the people in Iraq faced. You understand? And so forth. There's a lot of... That's a subject on its own. It's called Tariq al-Tashri' that we... That, 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 um, that, that uh, excellent book on this topic is a book called Evolution of Fiqh by Bilal Phillips. Dr. Bilal Phillips has a book on this called Evolution of Fiqh in English. So in this, he will discuss all of these issues. And how the Hanafi Madhab came about, what happened with the Shafi'is, the Malikis, the Hanbalis, all of the stuff up until latter day scholars. Sheikh Albani came along, what he did, how he changed the dynamics in the Ummah, brought, he re, rejuvenated the science of Hadith, and so forth. He speaks about the Ottoman Empire, the, the, the Abbasiyah rule, and he speaks a lot about the, the Madhab fanaticism, how, for example, um, the, the, the scholars of the madhab used to debate each other. They used to go to court. And they used to have debates to see whose opinion is stronger than the, the others. And whoever was stronger, they used to have a huge celebration. Because today the Shafi scholar beat that, that Hanafi scholar. And that Hanafi scholar would be like abused and degraded and humiliated because he lost on this opinion of fiqh that he was beaten in. So, so much so it became... We ready to debate you, the Hanafis and the Shafis, and it was like so extreme. No, no one was looking for the Hadith. No one was looking for the strongest opinion. It was just our mother was your mother, but our mother, and this still filtered through. You still find remnants of this extremism, um, like that, for example, is an example. We will pray our own witr behind. Not going to pray behind the Imam because we must pray Hanafi witr, which is nonsense to to think like this. And there's many other extremism. 
extremist extremist beliefs like there's a Hanafi mosque, you can't have a Shafi Imam. You understand? Stuff like this. This is ramp this was rampant. In in South Africa even. This was known. There's a Hanafi mosque, you can't bring a Shafi Imam here. And especially up country because they're much more stronger up there down here. Cape Town News are watered down in many things. So in a good way in this in this that they are not that extreme on on our madhab only. You know? That that's a type of extremism that's completely not from the deen of Allah Azza wa Jal. Um, where were we? Taib, the next hadith from Abu Dawud and Tirmidhi, uh, similar from Aisha radiallahu anha, where she said, كل سورة في ركعة وفي الأخير قل هو الله أحد والمعوذتين. So this hadith adds on to the previous hadith, where she basically says, each surah in a raka'ah, meaning, سبحسمه in a raka'ah, قل أيها الكافر in a raka'ah, and the third raka'ah would be, أحد and and فلق الناس معوذتين. But the hadith is weak. But the hadith is. It's a weak hadith. So those who accept the hadith, they will decide قُلُوا اللَّهُ أَحَدُ قُلَا عَوْضُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ and قُلَا عَوْضُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ in the rak'ah, in the last rak'ah. But the hadith is weak, hence, stick to قُلُوا اللَّهُ أَحَدُ alone. It is also, some people tend to recite Probably because it's easy. No, not the Sunnah. Obviously, it's Mustahab. No, that's not Sunnah to do that. Look, فَقْرَأُ مَا تَيَسَرْ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ As Allah says, recite what's easy for you from the Qur'an. So this is Am, meaning, in the Salah you can recite anything. In any Salah you can recite anything. Right? You have a choice to read whatever you want to recite. Because Allah said, فَقْرَأُوا مَا تَيَسَّرَ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ Read whatever is easy from the Qur'an. So in any salah you can read whatever you like of the Qur'an. Long or short. But there are times where it's sunnah to recite certain things. Like in this instance, this is the sunnah. أَسُوا إِذَا جَاءَ People only recite that because it's short and easy. That's why. It's not a sunnah to recite them. If they recited every single night, it, it could be problematic. Because now it's as if they're making it a sunnah. And people might think, oh, one day that's a sunnah. Well, it must be a sunnah because this imam is doing it all the time. Huh? Look, I'm not... Uh, yeah, it's a habit. It's a habit. The three calls. So the three calls in the last raqai, there is a hadith here for it. As I said, the, the hadith is inauthentic. But most people do it because it's easy, as I said. It's, it's short surahs and they're in order, you know, it's in sequence. So they read it like that. But it's not a sunnah to recite it like that, no. If you don't want to recite Sabih Isman, Kafirun, read anything. Read any of the short surahs. Read any way in the Quran, even. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's still accepted. But the sunnah, the best is to recite these ones. To decide these ones. The same with Jumu'ah. Sabih isma ghashiyah. Halataka hadith ghashiyah. That's the best thing to decide in the Jumu'ah. Or Jumu'ah and Munafiqoon. That's also Sunnah. But if you recite anything else, no problem. Still, still Quran. Still Quran. That's the main thing. Right? 
The next hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu anna nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam aqal awtidu qabla an tusbihu rawahu muslim wal ibn hibban man adraka subha wa lam yutiru fala witra lah The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said perform witr before you reach the morning before you reach the morning and in the, the narration of Ibn Hibban he said whoever reaches subh whomsoever reaches subh and he did not play witr then there is no witr for him whomsoever reaches subh and he did not play witr then there is no witr for him right and this is hadith is again clear that you have to pray witr before fajr before subh once subh comes the time for fajr is up the time for fajr is up however what do we do if you overslept so now firstly if you didn't pray out of laziness meaning you had every opportunity to pray and you didn't pray you just decide not to pray like out of laziness out of lack of worry okay and then you slept that's one thing but the other thing is like what happened to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam you intend to wake up right you made the intention you put your alarm clock on I'm going to wake up, pray Qiyam, and then pray Witr. So I don't make Witr before I sleep, right? So what happens is you oversleep. And when you wake up, it's Fajr. And you missed the Witr now. What then? What the Prophet ﷺ used to do is, if he overslept, he would pray 12 raka'at during the morning, during the day. During that, that morning period, like the duha period. He would pray 12 raka'at. To compensate for what he missed during the night. And this is because it was his sunnah to pray 11 raka'at at night. Right? You would pray 11 raka'at. So 12 basically. Sorry, you would pray 10 raka'at of qiyam and 1 of witr. Right? That equals 11. Are you with me? 10, 2, 2, 2, 2, 2 and then 1 for witr. So that's, that's 11. It's one of the ways he prayed it. So for, to make up for that, what he would do is... 2, 2, 2, 2, 2, 2, 2, 12. There's no 1 anymore because the witted is gone. But to make up, you would pray 12. Instead of that 1, you would pray extra 2. Instead of the 1, you would make 2. So in total, it would be 12. So whatever is your ada, whatever you intended to do, let's say you intended to pray 1 witted during the night, you should pray two raka'at during the day. If you intended to pray three raka'at during the night, you should pray four raka'at during the day. If you intended to pray seven during the night, you should pray eight during the day. You basically add that one raka'at because you're not going to pray one raka'at, you're going to pray it in two because it's two by two. Understand? This is what the Prophet is to do to make up and to compensate for what he missed of the wheat. And that again shows the, the value of the wheat and the status of the, of the wheat. Another benefit of this hadith is it shows that ibadat is muakkata. They have specific time periods. Even the witr. If you miss the period, it's gone. So the same with the fard. If you miss the fard salah for no valid reason, it's gone. You can't make it up. And this is the correct view. These other views that say you must make qada. But we believe there's no qada because there's no evidence for qada. <coughs> That's why qada is valid. The Prophet never said you must make qada. Except for those who have an excuse, like a person who oversleeps, a person who's unconscious, a person who forgot, they must make qada as soon as they remember, as soon as they wake up. You oversleep for fajr? As soon as you wake up, you need to get up and pray fajr. Understand? 
But the person who purposefully oversleeps, he can't wake up at 10 the next morning and decide, okay, I'm going to pray Fajr. But he had never ever had the intention of waking up on its time. For him, he's missed the Fajr. There's no qada for him. It's mu'akkata, it has specific times. You can't decide to pray it later. So if you missed any salah, some people miss salah for months, for years. How are they going to make qada? So some of the scholars say, whenever you pray Fajr, you must make two Fajrs. Every Dhuwar, you must make two Dhuwars for the rest of your life, like to make up for those years. It's gone. This is again baseless, there's no evidence for this. What we say is, make Tawbah. Sincere Tawbah. For it's a major sin. Make sincere Tawbah. And start to uphold your Salah. And thirdly, Ibn Taymiyyah would say, try to make more Nawafil. More Nafil Salah, just to try to you know, try to make up that reward that you missed out. You will never make it up because the Father has the most rewards. But try to make more nafil salah so that you can add to your rewards. Because you missed out so much. So make tawbah, start to uphold the fara'id, and try to do more nafil salah. In the next hadith, he said, مَن نَامَ عَنِ الْوِتْرِ أَوْ نَسِيَهُ فَلْيُصَلِّ إِذَا أَصْبَحَ أَوْ ذَكَرَهُ Whomsoever oversleeps from for witr or he forgets it, then he can pray it when he wakes up or when he remembers. Right? And again, this hadith has weakness in it. Hadith has weakness in it. What did we say you should do? Pray it in the morning to compensate what you missed out. Twelve if that was your... If you normally make eleven during the night. If you only make two, make, make two. I mean, if you make three with your witter, make four. Like that. Right? Um, the next hadith is from Jabir radiallahu anhu who said that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said man khaf an la yaquma min akhir al-layl fal yutiru awwalahu whosoever fears that he will not be able to stand up and pray witr at the end of the night then let him pray witr at the beginning of the night so this is clear those who, of, those who don't have the confidence that they're going to wake up or you're incomplete look I don't know if I'm going to wake up I'll try to wake up but I, I don't know right then make your witr before you sleep to be safe. Understand? And if you wake up, what did we say you can do? Just make muqiyam, no problem. But for those, the hadith carries on and says, وَمَنْ طَمِعَ أَنْ يَقُومَ آخِرَهُ فَلْيُوتِلُ آخِرَ اللَّيْلِ So if he's confident that he will stand up at the end of the night, then he can pray the witr at the end of the night. So you know, you, inshallah, you, you believe you'll wake up, you're confident, then you can delay the witr. Understand? But if you have no confidence, if you know, I don't know, I'm going to wake up. Pray witr and then go sleep. If you wake up, alhamdulillah, pray qiyam layl. If you overslept, at least you know you prayed your witr. In this case, if you have confidence, go sleep and delay your witr. So witr means even at the last minute before Fajr and Yes. So long you got the witr in before Fajr, it's in. فَإِنَّ صَلَاةَ آخِرِ اللَّيْلِ مَشْهُودَةَ وَذَلِكَ أَفْضَلٌ And he said, for the salah at the end of the night is witnessed. It's mashhudah. It's witnessed. And that is best. So here, there's encouragement to make the witr at the end of the night. If, it's, if you can. Why? Because the salah at the end of the night is the best. And it's witnessed. What does this mean? Allah is a witness to it. Allah is a witness of everything. But specifically at that time of the night. And the malaika are witness. Because the malaika also are looking and roaming the earth for the places of worship and so forth. 
So the malaika and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have a special witness to the salah done at that time. And secondly, it's also best because it coincides with the time when Allah descends. It coincides with the best of time when Allah descends. And he asks who's there that's calling out so I can answer him. Who's making dua so I can respond to his dua. Who's asking forgiveness so that I can forgive him. This coincides with that time. Hence, it's the best of times um, as well. Right? So, whoever can perform it at the end should. Whoever feels he cannot, pray it and then go sleep. Right? But again, don't miss out on the witted. And But the last part of the night is the best. The end of the night is the best. The second half of the night. The last third of the night. That's the best part of the night. The last hadith, very shortly from Ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma. عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال إذا طلع الفجر فقد ذهب كل صلاة الليل والوتر فأوتلوا قبل طلوع الفجر رواه الترمذي um, He said when the fajr comes in when the waqt of fajr comes in إذا طلع الفجر فقد ذهب كل صلاة الليل then all salat al-layl is now gone What does this mean? The time for salat al-layl is up and witr The time for salat al-layl is up and witr So pray witr before fajr comes in before the rising of Fajr hadith is not tirmidhi and hadith doesn't really require any explanation Wallahu a'lam wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk what's happening here seems stuck